The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are about to enter a world of straight talk, compelling issues, and real solutions. Welcome to Power of Peace Radio with your host, Kit Cummings. Each week, we will tackle the issues that you've been talking about. We bring desperately needed hope and peace to our youth and our communities. Now, here is Kit Cummings. Good evening, everybody. Kit Cummings, Power of Peace Radio, coming to you from Atlanta, GA. Very, very excited that you tuned in with us. And uh, I've been looking so forward to this show. I mean, I look forward to this every week, um, but I'm just, I'm just in a different place tonight. I'm in a great, great mood. I stay pretty, pretty high most of the time. Not like that, but uh, pretty energized. But, um, man, there's something about tonight that I've just been looking so forward to. I, it obviously has a lot to do with our guest, um, but also just there's so much going on. There's so much to talk about. And, um if it's the first time that you're tuning into Power Peace Radio, we choose relevant issues that people are already talking about, whether it be water cooler talk, things they're listening to, watching, you know, discussing, arguing about. Everybody's got a position, and there's plenty of things to talk about. So we try to choose relevant issues and then have influential guests, thought leaders, change agents, experts, people that have influence and, and have earned the right to talk about the things that we're going to talk about. And uh, tonight, you know, is, is good timing. I mean, there's, today was a very tumultuous day for people that were watching the markets. And there's a lot of fear that's gripping the world today. I mean, there's just been highs and lows. It's been a roller coaster week as uh, we saw an, an attack in France that was averted by some young heroes. I mean, and that was, that was an amazing thing that happened that captured uh, the media. It's great when you see great stories like that in the media. But it also scares people to think that that kind of thing is going on. And um, we, we tackle those issues. And, and what we, we aim to give you is not just um, it is going to be entertaining. It is going to be compelling. But we want to give solutions because people are looking for answers. And I'll tell you what doesn't work is complaining and arguing and whining and sitting on your hands and waiting for somebody to do something. And so this is a show about what can we do to change things. And to, to really, you know, just to bring about change in our communities, uh, to restore our beloved community, as Dr. King said. Uh, tonight we have a special guest, but I'm going to get to that in just a second. I wanted to first update you. Each week I try to tell you where has the Power of Peace Project been. The Power of Peace Project is a, a nonprofit movement that started in a dangerous prison, spread to schools and communities. Now it's in youth corrections, and it's, um, it's a, a young, vibrant, energetic movement movements are fueled by young people they need wisdom they need elders because you know there's a lot of energy not necessarily wisdom but movements are about the young and there's a peace movement going on it's called the power of peace project 
This week I was in Cleveland and Columbus and um, got to see two groups graduate the Power Peace Project. These are juvenile felons inside of tough juvenile prisons. These are not little work camps, boot camps, detention centers. These are serious prisons for kids that are, you know, under 21. Uh, they have as, as young as one kid in there is 12 in this group that we graduated. The oldest is 21. Um, but we got to see that, and it is one of the most inspiring things that I ever get to witness. Um, I go in and, and have the pleasure of kicking it off. We spend two days with these kids, and a lot of times in adult facilities or in schools, and we get a group of, of students, participants, inmates, to sign a peace pledge and to follow champions of peace like Dr. King and Gandhi and Mandela and Mother Teresa and Dalai Lama and Albert Einstein. We pick peacemakers from around the world. Today I was at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, which I've never been to, because I wanted to, to bring John Lennon into this, uh, the power of peace, what we call champions of peace, trying to figure out these 20th century peacemakers that the young generation has not really been taught about. Um, they sign a, a peace pledge. They get journals every day. They get quotes from these champions of peace. They put on a wristband, which signifies their becoming a young peacemaker. They meet in small groups with their rivals, and you've got rival gang members across the table from one another. Or in schools, you just got kids that don't get along or come from the same place. Uh, they complete action challenges every day. I mean, they have group activities. They do projects. But at the end, we graduate and we celebrate. And their, their anthem is, Hope is the New Dope. And it's amazing to see these kids from Cleveland and Cincinnati and Columbus and Toledo and Akron and Youngstown. They hate each other because of where they come from. And to see them celebrate together and their families to be there, it's, the, it's amazing. That's why I think I'm so high tonight. I'm so just jazzed tonight. But anyway, I just wanted to share that good news. There, there are young people changing. And for those out there that have washed their hands and said, man, these young people, it's hopeless. We can't reach them. They're too far gone. And just people are shaking their heads at the young. And the young are not listening to anybody, by the way. They're not listening to coaches or teachers or mamas or preachers. or They're not listening to judges. They're listening to the people that speak their language. This movement speaks their language. And so I'm super, super excited about it. And that'll tie into what we're going to talk about tonight. But the, the topic tonight is, is called the faith crisis in America. And what a lot of people see, and I see it too, is a growing racial divide. Even in our faith communities, we see young people that are just, they're, they're not about church anymore. I mean, they're, they're not growing up in churches. Most kids, there's a huge gap with young people in our churches. Religious prejudice seems to be getting worse where Christians are judging Muslims and Muslims, Jews and Jews, Christians. And I mean, the world seems to be heading more in that direction, more divided than ever. Um, there's churches on every corner, but, but Sundays are the most segregated day of the week. I mean, that doesn't make much sense. And people are leaving the church in droves because they're, I don't know, they're not being fed. And there's a faith crisis, if you ask me, in America. I want to read this, and then I want to tell you about um, our, our special guest tonight that I'm very, very excited about. But um, Dr. King wrote a letter. And it, it's the letter from the Birmingham, uh, uh, Birmingham jail, which most people have heard about. He says, there was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of 
popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. But the judgment of God is upon the church today as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Dang. I mean, if that, doesn't, if that doesn't describe a lot of what's going on today. Tonight, we have a special guest that has earned the right to speak to these things. His name is Mr. Michael Weir. Michael is a leading expert and strategist at the intersection of faith, politics, and American public life. As one of President Obama's ambassadors to American believers, Michael directed faith outreach for the President Obama's historic 2012 re-election campaign. Michael was also one of the youngest White House staffers in modern American history. He served in the White House faith-based initiative during President Obama's first term. We had where he led evangelical outreach and helped manage the White House's engagement on religious and values issues including adoption and anti-human trafficking efforts. Today, Michael is a sought-after consultant in helping religious organizations, political organizations, businesses, and others effectively navigate the rapidly changing American religious and political landscape. Michael also writes for The Atlantic, uh, Relevant Magazine, and other publications on faith, politics, and culture. He serves on the National Board of Bethany Christian Services, the name nation's largest adoption agency. Michael and his wife, Melissa, are both proud natives of Buffalo, New York. They now reside in Washington, D.C. Michael, welcome to the Power Peace Radio. It's good to be here. Really honored <laughs> to, be, uh, to be here with you, Kit. Uh, well, I'm so grateful that you um, accepted my uh, invitation. And we have a common friend in Antonio B. Boyd, and I know you guys have, have crossed paths and know each other, and I'm so grateful right. to Antonio for connecting us. And um, he just he, he just sung your praises, and you and I got to talk on the phone a couple weeks ago, and man, it's like we've known each other forever. I mean, we had a great yeah. talk. And so um, I'd love for you to tell us, our, our listeners, how in the world did you get to the place where you're at? That was quite an impressive bio, but how, how do you get to the White House that quick? I mean, tell us what happened. <laughs> Uh, I'll tell you, I gotta like have my wife write my bio, right? Because I don't know, you try writing your own bio and it just sounds just silly. <laughs> but, uh, uh, hey, so I was, um, uh, the short story of how I met Barack Obama is I was at, uh, the wrong place at the wrong time, um, but happened to be the right place at the right time. Uh, I was uh, at a local hotel here at DC, here in D.C. Um, and was trying to lead a group of students to uh, uh, the Democratic Winter Convention in February of, uh, of 2007. And, uh, uh, the only problem was I had the wrong date, uh, <laughs> the wrong date and the wrong time for the convention. So I'm, I'm walking around this hotel looking for, uh, looking for all the action. And someone finally has the heart to tell me that, um, that, that I was in the wrong place and <laughs> the wrong time. And so I, I leave the hotel and, uh, wouldn't you know it, Barack Obama, then Senator Barack Obama is walking into the hotel for meetings, uh, the, the, the couple days before the convention actually got started. And I met him and, and we connected and, uh, and I, uh, that started a, a journey that led me, uh, to, to Iowa and <laughs> knocking on doors to make sure that, 
that they could make it through a, a tough Democratic primary, and eventually uh, I ended up in the White House, where I was able to serve for three and a half years to uh, help the president reach uh, America's uh, religious communities and nonprofits that are uh, serving those uh, most vulnerable, most in need, and, and not just serving them, but, but working with them um, to create a better better uh, future and circumstances for, for all Americans. And so I, I did that for three and a half years, uh, and then uh, I, I was honored to, to lead uh, the state outreach efforts for the president's re-election um, and, and did that uh, starting in May of 2012 uh, through election day. And so it's been an incredible ride. I was just a, uh, I, was, I was a pretty young guy who uh, loved Jesus and thought that, um, thought that my faith had, had, had to do with more than just me getting to heaven. They actually had some consequences for, uh, for how I acted on earth and what, what uh what what uh what the best future was for um for for those around me and so uh I ended up getting involved in politics and uh and it led led me in, and keeps leading me in interesting places. <laughs> that that's amazing to me. I mean and, and you I appreciate your humility. I mean but I'm sitting there thinking, okay, here's a young guy, he's he thinks he's supposed to be at one place and he's not on the right night. You know, he's walking out and the president of the United States is walking in and then you just kinda tell us that, yeah, so we met and then I kinda got on his staff and I was in the white <laughs> You know, that can't be easy. The dude's kinda surrounded, <laughs> he's kinda protected. So um, you know, you must well, I think two things. Is one, I'm, you, they call me the worm. I worm my way in. If you don't invite me, I will invite myself. I used to say I go where I'm invited. Now I just show up and just act like I'm supposed to be there. So, I mean, you must. <laughs> that's why we dig each other. But um, that, that's very, very impressive that, that you were able to do that. And also believe in divine appointments. I mean, I really, really do. I believe that, that God has a plan. And that if we stay in the flow, that he will take us places that we never dreamed we could go. And and I don't know what that moment was like the first time that you went to your new job and you walked into the West Wing or wherever your office was. I mean, what was that moment like? I mean, it's, it's difficult because you're there. You don't. Uh, you're tired. <laughs> you're you're you got a lot on your plate, um, uh, but you're also working. Um, literally in a living museum. Uh, that, that's what the White House is. It's a living museum. And so I, 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 uh, I tell a story. My first day working at the White House, um, I had a meeting with the president in the, in the Oval. Um, and so, uh, you know, you, you, you dream of what you're going to tell the, the president uh, the first time you see him in the Oval. And I'll, I'll tell you, kid, I'm going to be honest. I, I was lucky I got anything out of my mouth at the time. And I just sort of walked into the, to the Oval and, and sat down, uh, or, or, uh, actually it was a meeting. We had a bunch of faith leaders, uh, come in. So we were all standing and I found myself wedged between, uh, a bookcase and a table with a lamp on it. And kid, I'm just thinking, I better not knock over this lamp for all I know, you know, 
President Taft like whittled it uh, with his own hands, and you know <laughs> Thomas Jefferson made the made the end table. So I'm I'm standing there like a like a statue. The president keeps looking at me, looking all physically. Don't touch anything. <laughs> oh, that's so great. I, it, that is it's great. It's an amazing experience, and and it doesn't fade. Uh, you know, the longer you work there, it, it's uh, every day you're reminded of. Uh, uh, of uh, what what a small piece of the machinery <laughs> you are, and the the high aspirations um, and, and task that that's before you, and so um, it, it was an incredible experience, uh, uh, and you know, it was definitely an honor. Wow! Yeah. Now you know. I mean, it's not. We've got a, a few minutes here, and I, and then we want to jump into a couple of things that that we want to talk about tonight. But obviously, you had some sort of resume that qualified you to even get into the conversation for a position like this with the faith and community <laughs> outreach. So, what what was? I mean, what what led you there, and what even got you in the conversation? I mean, what's your background I, I, there, as far yeah, as yeah? So, so honestly, it was it was two things. One. Uh, people don't remember in 2007, uh, folks saw the speech, uh, the president gave at the 2004 DNC convention and people knew he was a rising star, but if sure. you listen to the conventional wisdom back then, uh, he, he, he had to wait his turn. It wasn't his time yet. Kind of all this. And, uh, his opponent at the time, <laughs> uh, happened to be a pretty prominent democratic figure. <laughs> Who, uh, who had all all the sort of uh, all the traditional staff and all the folks that had been working in politics for you know back in Arkansas and all that all that stuff and so uh, uh, Barack Obama was just looking for the for the best the youngest uh, uh, people that he could find and I I don't know if I was the best but I I sure was one of the youngest and so he, he uh, how, how old were you <laughs> they grabbed me up uh, I, I was. I was 20 years old when I started. 20, 20 years old. Now it says one of the youngest White House staffers in modern American history. I mean, are you the youngest, or was there anybody that? Uh, well, uh, I, 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 that I, I we don't know say, about. I have to say, I have to say one of the uh, because I'm I'm a little embarrassed to ask the White House historian uh, to, to, to to tell me if, I, if I'm the youngest. <laughs> but uh, I, I, hey, let's just say it. I'm just gonna say it because it sounds good. This is the youngest guy ever to work in the White House. So um, that, that's awesome. Well, t- tonight we're gonna be talking about um, the, a crisis of faith in America, and I'm, I'm interested in in your uh, very unique perspective because, uh, and you can tell us exactly how you did this and and what it was that you did to to reach out and try to pull in faith leaders and communities. And um, you probably Joshua Dubois. I'm imagining you guys uh, probably did a lot of work together. And yeah, right. I'd I'd like to know your viewpoint um, as to you know the basically the the health of the nation as far as faith goes and i don't just mean you know religion um because obviously i think there's a big um difference in being religious and being spiritual and being a person of faith and being a true believer and i and i say that with great respect for all the different world cultures and faith traditions and uh, my work takes me into working with christian muslim jew 
Buddhists, Hindus, Native American, spiritualism, humanists, um, because it's a very inclusive program that pulls together, right. you know, these great world changers, difference makers, peace champions that have literally changed the world with their nonviolent principles because of their faith. And I yeah. specifically designed it to pull in the Gandhi, the King, the Mandela, and uh, the Thich Nhat Hanh, you know, and, and black yeah. Elk and Rabbi Heschel and Maya Angelou and the great people that have, have changed their world that they were living in. And so, you know, when we come back from the break, I, I want to hear, do you believe that there's a, a crisis, a faith crisis going on in our country? And if so, uh, what do you believe the, the signs are? And then we're going to start digging maybe into some, not maybe, <laughs> we're going to dig into some solutions. But um, again, Michael, thank you so much for being on our show tonight. I can't wait to get into the next segment right now. We're going to break. So everybody sit tight. We'll be right back. Power Peace Radio. Love is in the air tonight. Hey-oh. Hey-oh. Hey, the energy inside gives me life. Hey-oh. Hey-oh. And this goes out to the world. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Do you feel alone, even when you're surrounded by others? Do you feel that there's sometimes nowhere to turn and nobody really understands? Remember, you are not alone. Every week, host April J. Ford, who has faced adversity as a constant in her life, helps you rise above life's challenges with your own blueprint meant to help you find out who you are. April's challenges have included childhood sexual abuse, becoming a widow and single parent at 32, and other such curveballs. She'll help you every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Are you happy in your life, or are you just settling? It's time to speak out, take control of your existence, and let your life speak. Bart Queen is the host of A Hero's Journey. His personal goal is to help you find your voice, use that voice, and live the life that you deserve to live. Do more, be more, and give more. Tune in to A Hero's Journey on the Voice America Empowerment Channel, live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Eastern Time. You owe it to yourself to tune in and make your voice count. Get ready to experience a more fulfilling lifestyle. Tune in to Direct Connect Empowerment with host Fee Mazanki. The show will feature guests who have changed their lives by using the Direct Connect coaching program or have worked with the same concepts that this program offers. By hearing how others have been transformed, you will be inspired to move forward. Direct Connect Empowerment with Fee Mazanti can be heard live every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You're listening to Power of Peace Radio. To reach Kit Cummings or his guest today, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Kit at kitcummings.com. Now back to Power of Peace Radio. Hey everybody, welcome back. And uh, tonight we're talking with Michael Weir, who is a leading expert, strategist, and really specializes in the intersection of faith, politics, American public life. 
worked in the, the first Obama administration, helped uh, get him reelected, and uh, is part of the faith-based initiative, really reaching out to the faith community and trying to pull that together. So that's very, very relevant with everything that we're going on um, with as a country. And uh, as we went to the break, I asked you, Michael, if, if you believe that America is in the middle of a, a faith crisis. Um, and if you do, um, why do you think that? What do you think are the, are the signs? And um, what's your opinion? Yeah, so I, it's, it's an excellent question. I think, listen, uh, and there are different ways to approach this, but my, my general approach is that uh, the, the church is never in crisis. The, the, the church is, um, is there in times of crisis and has... Uh, either the, has the opportunity to, to meet those times or to fail to meet those times. And, and I do think we're in a time of crisis right now that is asking, uh, and that is asking for the church to step up and, and meet it. And so, um, as we've seen the Black Lives, Mood, uh, the Black Lives Matter, uh, movement, um, gain prominence, they're asking some really critical questions about um, what Christian theology uh, and really what what uh, religions have dealt with uh, for millennia, which is uh, what is a person? Uh, how does a person uh, get or inherently have dignity? And what are the obligations of society um, to meet that dignity? And uh, the, the the answers the 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 capital is absolutely there in the church. The question is just whether we're we're just going to dig our our heads under the sand, um, or if we're going to step in a moment of prophetic witness, in a moment of um, of seeing the vacuum and the hole, the gaping moral hole in our culture, and and, uh, and step into it with humility, uh, but but with, with confidence, um, and that's that, that's really uh, what I'm looking for, and and, and uh, where my eyes are. Will will the church and will uh, will the faith community step up uh, in this moment? And I'll, I'll tell you, it's right. It's not the uh, the press releases from the from the DC offices of, of these denominations. Um, we've had that for a while. The press releases are, are fine. Um, what we need um, is for folks in the pews to to wake up and realize. Um, uh, that that there's there's a call uh, of their faith on their life that extends beyond uh, uh, going to church on Sunday. Right, 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 right. I I totally agree with you, and and I'm I'm directed back to the the passage or the you know the section of that letter that Dr. King wrote, and he said. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. And, you know, part of my story, the reason that I go and I I work with at-risk youth and I go into prisons and I work in juvenile corrections and, and in inner cities as well as the suburbs and deal with the things that are happening to our kids, whether it be violence, gangs, but also overdose, addiction, drunk driving, death, suicide, just the things our kids, we're losing our kids. And it's because as a faith leader, I mean, I was in the ministry uh, for many years and led large churches. I pastored churches and built churches and led, you know, I mean, a couple thousand people probably at the, at, at the I guess, the peak of, of that career for me. But I burnt out 
And really what it had become was me being out in the suburbs, preaching a great message on Sunday, could make you laugh, make you cry, give you goosebumps. People would line up to come and, you know, greet me afterwards. And then I would sit in my office and people would bring me folks that I would counsel, whether it be couples or whether it be guests, visitors, people that were trying to join the church, you know, weddings, funeral, doing all the things that a pastor does. But I was disconnected from the community and the real issues. And I just saw things through my little lens, you know, which was yeah. up in a suburb in North Atlanta, right? Yep. And then I burned out and I fell out, man. I mean, it was, it was ugly. And that's a story, you know, I'll tell you all about it but um but i i started going into the places that you hear about where there's pain and there's loss and they're wounded communities and it changed my life because this one that i've been preaching about for all these years now i was starting to walk with him and go and and do the things that he did and hang out with the people that he chose to hang out with and that was the huge difference maker for me so what i'm hearing you say is we got to get our churches, but I think also the pastors to start. Now, there's some great ones that are doing it to get their hands dirty, roll up their sleeves, get involved in the the, the, the issues that are going on, right? Yeah, and, and, and listen, these things are not easy to step into, and there are going to be all kinds of critical voices and, and folks questioning whether uh, whether you have a right or where did you come from. Um, and that, that right, that, those are valid. Where were you is a valid question, uh, but the response to where were you isn't to not show up now. <laughs> the, the answer is to, <laughs> to show point. up now and, and be present. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, I think I think that's uh, that, that's that's key. I'll, I'll tell you, when I was working for the president, um, we would hold. Uh, President started a tradition called the Easter Prayer Breakfast. Uh, every year, uh, we pull together um, uh, leaders, religious leaders from across the country to celebrate uh, the most important Christian uh, holiday. And I remember the first Easter breakfast, uh, Easter uh, Prayer Breakfast we held. Uh, I was standing with uh, a couple of uh, a couple of uh, white pastors, and uh, they looked around the room. Um, and uh, they were astounded by the diversity, not just the uh, the uh, uh, racial diversity or the ethnic diversity, but the diversity of, of Christian expressions that were in the room. And I thought to myself, well, what kind of church are we that it takes the President of the United States to introduce us to one another? Mm. Um, how is that... Um, how is that acceptable? Uh, how is that conducive uh, to uh, a, a Christian witness in an increasingly secularizing uh, country that's going to be effective if we don't even know uh, the pastor that's that's a few miles down the road? Uh, especially when you're talking about two pastors of uh, of international influence. I mean, it's not like not knowing not knowing the. Uh, the 25-member church down the road. You can't know every church in the neighborhood, but but it really says something when you can have two Christian leaders uh, uh, just on the other end of Main Street in a town who reach hundreds of thousands of people every uh, every week, but they haven't reached each other yet. <laughs> and, uh, right. It, oh. That's not just that's not just a relational uh, problem, you know, though it's it's 
experience a deeply relational problem. It also has consequences for um, for the types of leadership you, you uh, can show and the, the types of experiences you're opening those in your congregation up to. Um, there's, there's a thriving, um, I think, growing multicultural church movement going on, and, and I love that movement, and I'd love to see churches that are more diverse, but um, let's I think uh, the AME uh, church has provided great things to this nation, and I'm glad for them, and I hope the AME church doesn't go anywhere. Uh, the, the, the question is, for me, now whether some in some ideal world we're going to have uh, every church reflect the uh, national demographics uh, of this zip code. I think the, the, the question for me is, can we at least get to a point where these churches feel like they're on mission together and part of the same vision together? Um, and that's, that's what I'd like to see in their concrete steps that, that churches, uh, not just the pastors, but the folks in the pews can take to, to help to build that, that vision. Yeah, no, that's good stuff, and and um, I I agree with everything you said. I think it goes to the you use the word mission. It goes to what is the true mission of the church? I mean, what really? What is it all about? I mean, what what is it that we're trying to do? Because I think a lot of what twenty uh, first century Christianity has become is it's a spectator sport. It's something that that we know we ought to do. We ought to do it for our kids. It's a good place to go and meet good people. Mm. And a lot of times people go to church and they sit and they listen and they get up and they leave. And I know I've done it. And I know that, that <laughs> I mean, it's... I, what is the mission there? Is that the is that what the church is all about? I mean, is that what what he came to build? Is is you know you can do that anywhere, and people do. You choose to typically yeah. go where people that look like you live, where you live, kind of think like you do, speak like you do. That's where you're most comfortable, and so typically, and I'm not speaking for everybody, but but I see a lot of this because it goes. It's a big part of my work is people go and, and they go where they're comfortable, like churches, like like that's what church is, is supposed to do, is be a place to, to be comfortable and, and yeah. just to, to hear a nice little message that's going to make me feel good about where I'm at and then go back to my little, you know, cushy world for a lot of the suburbs. And then in the inner city, there's a lot of people that aren't going to church because, I mean, the, the churches are filled with, you know, preaching to the converted. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, right, I, I think it's easy, it, right, folks are seeking comfort everywhere, if they're not seeking comfort in their, uh, in churches, they're seeking comfort uh, in movie theaters and in their own social networks and clicks, so, um, you know, those are human things, what's, what's different about, uh, and I'll just speak about the, the Christian faith, which is that um, Jesus invites us to step into a new kind of life. And so when, when, when you and I talk about uh, maybe the, the ways that uh, the church is living up to its potential, that's not, uh, that's, that's not because uh, uh, somehow uh, uh, people of faith are, are somehow uh, uh, more callous or more this or that. Um, it, it, no, it's because we know the great capacity and the, the, the great um, 
the great aspiration that there is um, for someone who has stepped fully into the life of Jesus. Um, and, and that is the goal of the church. The goal of the church is to disciple believers so that they can uh, then go out and in, on every day, not just Sunday, in every way um, uh, they can, uh, that they can, uh, as Jesus prayed, uh, bring heaven onto earth. And uh, that means a lot of things. A lot of language has been uh, developed around what that means. But uh, uh, the beloved community is is a good one, and you use it. So I'll I'll, I'll stick with that. And that is the vision. It's not just a, a sort of social justice. Uh, a message. It starts uh, with the heart, but the transformation of the heart uh, very quickly leads one uh, to look at the systems and the oppression and the injustice and want to bring the, the peace and shalom and justice um, uh, that, that they know in their hearts to the world around them. And that's the sort of transformation that I see as I travel to churches around the country um, uh, and that I hope will uh, continue to grow. I mean, I, I'll tell you, Absolutely. The, uh, the, the conversation, uh, there are more hearts open to talking about criminal justice and racial injustice um, than ever uh, before in this country, or at least in the modern era. Um, and and, and the, uh, we need to invite those voices in. Uh, this is not a time to be um, to be uh, making folks check a check a list before they get involved. Um, this is a time <laughs> right. to say all who want to enter this conversation, all who want to do good, even if you're not quite sure what, what good is and you still have some questions, uh, we're not going to make you say the three magic words in order to join us. Um, and that's that's critical moving forward. This is, in my view, this is, this is harvest time in many ways. Hearts have been unsettled and really profound ways, um, so we should see this as a moment of, of opportunity, not one for, uh, for cynicism at all. Yeah, that, that is, that's good stuff, and um, we're coming up on another break, but, you know, you made me think about um, a story I tell a lot of times is, is really some of the worst things bring out some of the best in people. When we've seen disasters, whether it's an earthquake in Haiti or whether it's uh, Katrina down in New Orleans or, or you know, the, the tsunami, you, you see this amazing spirit come out of people. It brings, tragedy brings out the best and it brings out the worst. I mean, you see light and darkness and, and, and it's amazing. But if, if you're digging through the rubble because you're trying to save lives after an earthquake, you don't look over at the guy on the other side of this rock you're trying to pick up to get because there's somebody stuck down there and say, man, I he's a Muslim. I'm not going to pick up this rock, you know, or a Catholic right. and a Baptist. Man, no, you go get me in one of my, you know. <laughs> you know it just doesn't, yeah. it's two human beings that are trying to lift a rock off another. But why? Because that's the way we're built. We're built to care. We're built to love. We're built to serve. And when we don't do those things, we go dark inside. And that's what I'm seeing a lot of people that are wondering, and this is discouraging when I'm going to church every Sunday, man, I'm going on Wednesday nights or I'm reading the book, you know, I'm praying, my God, I've never prayed more. Why do I feel dead inside? You know, why do I just feel so empty? And see, it's not, I don't think the going to church or reading the book, all those things are, are very, very important, but they're hollow if you're not walking like he walked. And then, and I'm talking about believers, whatever your faith is, because you see a lot yeah. of people, it's not just Christian, 
<clears throat> Muslim, Jew, you see people that in different faith traditions that don't remind you a whole lot of the one that they claim to be following. And there's a real problem with that because it becomes into more of orthodoxy and dogma and here's what we believe and people are they're more known for what they're standing against than what they're standing for. You know, I'm, a, I'm against yeah. abortion, I'm against homosexuality, I'm against, you know, this particular and, and, and carry signs and picket and argue. And the hungry still are hungry. And the homeless are yeah. still homeless. And those that are addicted are still suffering while we argue about, you know, our doctrinal positions on things. And uh, I think that that's... Man, it's a it's a big deal. That's why what we're talking about tonight. I'm uh, is I told you I was very excited about having this conversation with you, Michael. We're gonna go to um, the next break here, the last break, and when we come back, I'd like to talk about like you know we started to to tease a little bit about some of the things were going on in Ferguson and Baltimore, and some of the things I think both of us have seen up close and personal. And what is the faith community's role, responsibility? Can they even make a difference? And if so. How? You know, how can we start to address those things? So I hope you'll stick around. We'll be right back with Michael Weir, and uh, we're having a great conversation on Power Peace Radio. Be right back. Love is in the air tonight. Hey-oh. 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 It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Can you think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person? Think about that for a second. Almost everyone wants to be better, but how does one go about doing that? One thing that is making people better every week is tuning in to the Self-Improvement Show with Dr. Irene Conlon. All real change comes from within, but many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement. Most of us don't know how to work within. Listen Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Should there be more to your life? Do you need a change? Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young will provide empowering commentary each week to encourage you. She will interview successful personalities from movies, television, business, technology, health, and academia. All of them have amazing stories resulting in transformed lives. You will learn how to discover real happiness, financial success, and fulfillment to live your highest purpose. Join her on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What makes you the best you can be? Is it money? Is it success? Maybe it's love, a good career, home, and family. Could it be a bit of all of these things? Be the best you can be with Dr. Linda Sanicola, along with her featured guests, will bring you the tools that could be the answer to the questions you've been asking. You'll get to the root of some of the problems that have been keeping you from being the best you can be and tackle them head on. Listen every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You're listening to Power of Peace Radio. To reach Kit Cummings or his guest today, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 
346-9141. You may also send an email to Kit at kitcummings.com. Now back to Power of Peace Radio. Welcome back, uh, Power of Peace Radio. Tonight we're speaking with uh, faith leader um, and also uh, politician working uh, the one of the youngest we think might be the youngest uh, White House staffer in modern American history quite a an achievement but also is out there day in day out working with faith leaders communities trying to bring people together which is is more important than ever before I mean with what we see going on in this country but we were having a, a great discussion during the break there that I would love to, to talk more about Michael that we were talking about how, what are some practicals that churches can do? You, you mentioned that there's four churches on, you know, on four corners at one intersection that the preachers are not even, not, not working together, much less even breaking bread together. And so we got to do something about that and um, to, to heal these wounded communities. And so uh, what, what are some practical things that, that you guys are trying to do? You guys, the, the people that, that you work with and, um, that yeah. that is working for you or you think would work yeah well so right and this is surprising to, to a lot of folks but pastors are human beings too and so they have they have the same kind of uh, social awkwardness that we feel sometimes and, and fears about being rejected and that kind of thing um, and so building relationships at the pastor level um, especially among diverse churches, we found it's helpful to have a cause to organize around. Um, so it's not just, hey, <laughs> well, you go out to coffee with me, well, that's a great idea, and that needs to happen, and those who are relationally gifted in that way should, should take take the step of, of doing that and making sure uh, that, that you have the number um, and that you are in fellowship with a diverse clergy, especially in your community. Um, but but uh, find something for your church to serve on together. So it's not branded just with your church name and that uh, you, you can uh, help make sure that, uh, that effort's not about who's getting credit for it, but about uh, the people being served. And I'll tell you, the other thing I've seen is great um, partnerships with diverse, racially diverse churches where um, uh, two, three times a year they'll swap pulpits. And so, uh, let's say that the white evangelical pastor will, will preach at um, the, the historically black church and, and the historically the pastor of the historically black congregation will preach at the at the at the white church and it's a beautiful way for people to see uh, the different expressions of the same faith. Um, the other thing I've seen is uh, uh, exchanges of worship bands for the same for the same kind of kind of principle and and for those who aren't um, religious uh, that, that may be listening in that may not sound like a substantive step but uh, one of the values that um, one of the unique things about churches is uh, they have uh, every week uh, folks are sitting in the pews and have the opportunity to be influenced and have their eyes, eyes and minds um, broadened um, in a way that it's, it's pretty unique um, uh, as a cultural institution and uh, the outflow or something like that um, it can be profound and lead to the type of systemic uh, changes and, and awareness that we want to see. Um, but then there are also more practical, um, uh, uh, really policy-oriented steps that 
uh, churches can take. Churches, uh, when I was at the White House, we worked with churches to host uh, job clubs. Um, one of the great sort of uh, uh, benefits and one of the great resources of uh, of, of, a lot of churches are not just the financial demographics of the, of the income of their, uh, their congregants, but the relational networks. And so uh, we work with churches to host job clubs there so that um, jobs represented in the congregation in the community um, uh, can, be, can be networked to those who may not have the same kinds of relational ties. We know that most people get, uh, get jobs and move up the career ladder, not through uh, necessarily the application process, but through relational referrals. And the, the social capital in our churches is something that can be, can be utilized uh, towards that end. And then, kids, just the last thing I'd mention is uh, we, sh- we shouldn't be afraid of, like everybody else in this country who is a citizen, of affecting our political process. There is a bipartisan bill in Congress right now called the Redeem Act. It's sponsored by Senator Cory Booker and Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky, uh, and they're proposing very straightforward, common-sense reforms to our criminal justice system um, that will help nonviolent offenders be productive members of society as opposed to uh, uh, as opposed to being blacklisted uh, because of their because of their record, or um, or you know, the the bill also helps make sure that we don't have young people put in isolated, solitary confinement needlessly, um, yeah. and some other common sense measures that are just going to be uh, critical for our country. And that's something churches should be able to to look at, and if they discern that it, it would be good for the country to to, to get behind. Absolutely. No, that, and you know, that speaks to my, my heart because that's become my passion. And, um, it's, it's, I can't stop. I, I, if, if I wanted to, I couldn't, I'm, I'm just hooked on it. Uh, I see God's power inside those prisons behind that razor wire more powerful than I see it anywhere else. And some people say, oh man, it's just jailhouse religion. You know, they, they got nothing else. Well, guess what? That's when the faith happens for a lot of people is when they hit bottom. You know, whether it be an addict yeah. or whether it be as somebody that's just dying of boredom in the sub <laughs> boredom in the suburbs or whether it's someone in a failed marriage or whether it's in crisis. It's in times of, of desperate measures that people finally reach out to God. And then a lot of times after years, we forget where we came from. The things that you were talking about doing, the, the pulpit, uh, you know, changing, uh, exchanging pulpits, you know, that takes humility. And that takes faith because, I mean, when you're a pastor and you have a congregation, um, the last thing you want to do is is give your pulpit to somebody that might come in and just light it up. I mean, that's that, that, can, that, that can scare a pastor because, man, that affects his pocket or hers. And I remember when I started, I can remember when things started to turn for me as a young preacher is there was a guy coming up under me. And he was and is very talented, very gifted, very, I mean, just a very impressive guy. And I saw him rising up and I felt threatened. And yeah. at that time, things started to crumble for me because the, the, the calling had become a career and I was afraid of losing what I had. And I think that, mm. that we have a lot of pastors out there that are more, you know, concerned about losing what they have instead of taking and Take it out to the places. Jesus said, when I was hungry, 
You gave me something to eat when I was thirsty. You gave me drink. When I was a naked, when I was naked, you gave me clothes. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I was sick, you came and sat with me. When I was in prison, you came to visit me. And these are the things that he did. And he hung out with the drunkards and the swindlers, tax collectors, prostitutes. And that was why his reputation was what it was. I mean, the religious didn't know what to do with him. And now my question is, is have we become the same as the Pharisees, as a society where there's the saved and the unsaved, and we look down on people that are less than? And I'm telling you, if he came back and walked the streets today, he'd have something to say. I believe that with all my heart. And then the other thing I think I want to, you know, just kind of touch on before we um, start heading toward uh, the end of our conversation, which I really enjoyed, is how in the world are we going to reach these young people? And I'm seeing uh, these these young kids, or um, our youth uh, are filling our prison system, building more prisons than schools. War on drugs is fueling a system with younger and younger inmates, and we're losing a generation. And um, you know, there's a famous book right now that everybody's talking about, the new Jim Crow. And why why is there such a hole in our churches, in your opinion, with our young people? Why have they turned us off, and why are they not coming? Yeah, well, like it, it, it's really the, the question, uh, and it's, uh, I think there are a number of things involved, and I'll tell you, some of it is, uh, is just and legitimate, and others are uh, sort of the, the kinds of cultural idols and leanings that, um, that, that we, we need to, that we need to call out. And so sometimes I hear, um, uh, sometimes I hear no deference being given to, uh, to, to young people who are frustrated and upset. And other times I hear, uh, uh sort of a, a complete, uh, a complete deference and sort of, uh, sort of a, uh, 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 affirmation of, of uh, a, a type of deep cynicism and institutional disengagement that is not helpful, that is not what uh, moved previous battles forward uh, when we talk about civil rights or other important policy changes. Um, right. uh, and so, so that, you know, that, that's important moving forward. Uh, listen, it, 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 you just got to give them a seat at the table. I mean, and that, that's the yes. thing, and, and it goes back that to what we it. were discussing b- before. Uh, it's it's not about uh, it's not about giving up power. It's about creating space for more uh, f- for more power to be shared. Um, and if you're just hoarding uh, influence for yourself to to hold on to uh, whatever title you think you have for yeah. as long as as you can have it. Um, young people sense that they don't want any part of a system uh, that that wasn't made um, to include them. Um, that's and, right. That's uh, right. It, it, and uh, you know that, that's something we could all understand. Um, and so, yeah, op- open up a seat at the table and think about how you use your influence, uh, not just for your own gain, but for for others. Um, oh, that's that's and, really really that good, and it, it um, I know we're coming up on a, on a hard uh, break here to close out our show, but you you may really made me think of something, Michael, that I, I wanted to end with. And there's a kid that that was in our um, in a youth uh, correctional facility program we did just a couple of months ago in a tough uh, prison where kids are coming out of Cleveland, 
over almost 60% of the kids in this prison are gang affiliated active. They're fighting all the time. There was one kid in there. He's big. He is mean. I mean, he, he was, I mean, he's scared of Dickens out of you if you were a small, younger guy, man. And he was number two ranking guy in a big gang up there. And he was an enforcer. And um, they, they, he was the most violent player, MVP, is what the staff said. And he signed that peace pledge. And he committed to those seven principles. And he began to journal every day. And he met with his small groups. And, man, this kid got it. And you wouldn't have even known it because he was kind of quiet. And, um, you know, people kind of feared him. And he was chosen as the MVP, uh, which is one of the awards we give, but this time as the most valuable player. And so he went from most violent player to most valuable player in 40 days. And he came up to me at that graduation. He said, Mr. Kitt, when I get out of here, can I get in touch with you? I want to come back and I want to, I want to do one of these, but I want to come in the right way. And I was yeah. like, yeah, I hear that a lot. But you know what? This kid, he did. He got out. And he sent me a text message and said, hey, Mr. Kidd, this is You know, MVP. <laughs> he had to remind me who he was. <laughs> and we began to speak every week. And, and, um, and I encouraged him, became my little brother. He put me in his phone as big bro. And, um, but anyway, he got a job. And he's living with his family. We found him a church up there. And I went up there this week to graduate another bunch of kids. And I took him to that same prison where he did two years and he was wearing the same color clothes as them. But I took him in the front and you should have seen him. This just yesterday. He walked in, his eyes were real bright and he goes, man, I never been in this way before. <laughs> he was coming in the front of the, you know, like I'm just going in the back. And so, I mean, it was really amazing. And I thought anybody could change. And then I went and dropped him off where he lives. And it's just the rough part of Cleveland. And I just want to encourage everybody's listening that, man, people can change. Our kids can change. They're, nobody's too far gone. I've, uh, I just believe it, but we got to get in there and start helping these kids. Michael, it's been an honor, privilege. Thank you for being our guest tonight. I hope we can we do another one and um, keep up your wonderful work. And everybody out there, you do something this week. Be the change you wish to see in the world. And tune back in next week. Power and Peace Radio, making change. Hope is the new dope. Peace out. Thank you for tuning in to Power of Peace Radio. We hope you've become inspired to make a change in your world. Spread the word and make sure to tune into our next show. We're live every Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment Channel. Be the change you wish to see. And remember, hope is the new dope.